Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Uh, this morning we're going to read our account of the resurrection from Luke, starting with uh, chapter 23, verse 55. And I chose the resurrection account from Luke in part because it's so detailed. Luke details the birth of Christ in an interesting way, and he also details the death and resurrection of Christ in a very interesting way. And so uh, I wanted to uh, read that as part of our our, our, uh, scripture reading this morning. Both accounts, his birth and his death and resurrection, involve people who are looking for Jesus. It's interesting. At his birth, there were people who were looking for God's Messiah to come. Simeon and Anna were both waiting for the Messiah to come. And at his resurrection, there were, they were surprised, but the women who had followed him and had been the matrons who had cared for him in his, in his ministry came looking for Jesus. They were surprised. They shouldn't have been, but then uh, if we were there and we had been them, we would have been surprised too. You know, we look back now, we have great 2020 vision. Didn't you know he was going to be raised from the dead? Come on, ladies, he told you. And he told everybody, but nobody got it. They just, they guess they were just blind to the understanding of it until it actually happened. So let's begin now reading Luke chapter 23, verses 55 through 24, 48. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words, and returned from the tomb, and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, 
What are these words you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleophas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but, he did, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where he, they were going, and, and he acted as though he were going farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? It is that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they were still, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus was loved. He was loved very much loved by his disciples, loved by the uh, matrons that traveled with the, with the band. He was loved. And so 
in their love for him, they took care of him. Joseph of Arimathea took his body and put it into the tomb, and the women prepared spices to go and anoint his body. They prepared them on Friday, but the Sabbath came, so they had to wait. And so first thing on Monday morning, they go to bring the spices to Jesus to anoint his body. They're going to anoint him in his burial. And it's fascinating to think that Jesus' body had already been anointed, isn't it? On at least two occasions, Mary had anointed Jesus' body, once pouring ointment on his head and once on his feet. And he said at that time, she's preparing my body for death. She's anointing my body for death. And so <laughs> he did, was anointed for his death, but not after his death. They went to anoint his body, and he was not there. And so they arrived to find the stone had rolled away, the body was gone, and two dazzlingly clothed men, angels, were there waiting. And terrified, they bowed down their faces. I don't know if they went to the ground or if they just bowed down like this, and they were, they were just scared. And the angels then challenged them. The angel said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And Jesus had spoken this to them. In Luke 9.22, he said that exact thing. In other places, he had told them and had tried to prepare them for the fact that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and that he was going to be raised from the dead. He had given them specifics, but it was as if, you know, uh, they were all 15-year-olds. <laughs> now, if you're laughing, you know... If you're not laughing, you're a 15-year-old. <laughs> and if you're laughing, you have not, maybe not had just your own 15-year-olds, but have 15-year-old grandchildren. And you can see the reality of how they just didn't get it. Well, of course, the Scripture says that they, they had to be, their minds had to be open to it. And so there was something of God's uh, providence, something of God's uh, holding back their understanding even through all of those times where they had heard Jesus say the things he had said. And that was quite often the case in his earthly ministry. Those kinds of things happen. I want to concentrate this morning on just five words in the text. Just five. And the five words are, the Son of Man must. The Son of Man must. Of course, the Son of Man in the Scripture is always referring to Jesus. He is the Son of Man. So we know who that is. The Son of Man must. But what must He do? That's a big word if you think about it. If you just stop and think about the context of all of this, as He's talking and as the angels are talking, didn't He say to you, the Son of Man must? 
He absolutely is obligated. He has something he has to do. The Son of Man must. And what they said in the context was he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, he must be crucified, and he must rise again on the third day. Well, those three actions are, are like the, uh, the pivotal point. They're like the, uh, the climactic moment of Jesus' life. But there are other places where it talks about what he must do. He's, he said that the, all of the, the, the things written of him in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. We just read. And so they must be fulfilled. In John 4, or 9, 4, he said, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. So he must do what the Father had sent him to do. But all of those things are just contextual to the climactic moment his life is building to, where he is, he is coming to the time when he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, he would be crucified, and he would rise again from the dead. Everything is about that time, that climactic moment. And so that was his work. We have to step back then to see the big picture, and I want us to step back and see the big picture just briefly this morning. And the big picture I want to give is just basically why Jesus had to die. Why did he have to die? And it starts in the fact that God is the one who made us. God made us. He is our creator, and we live and exist under his authority. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And so God made everything. He made everything. He made everything we have, and he made us. We are his creatures. We're his uh, creation. He has made us. But something horrible happened. And the horrible thing that happened is that humanity, man, rebelled against God. And they desired to run things on their own. They didn't want to say, you are God. You're our creator. You're the master. You're the Lord. What they wanted to say was, we want to be like you, we want to be the master, we want to be the Lord. And they sinned. And that sin from the time of Adam to today has been what has marked all of us. We all of us live with that sin of having this desire, this struggle, this fight to want to be God and want to usurp him and want to cast off all of his constraints in our lives, to deny his existence. And so we rebel against him to the point that the scripture says in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one, and none who understands and none who seeks for God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. And you say, well, that's a pretty general and all-inclusive statement. Well, it is because it's true. And you might say, well, I've done some good. And I'll say, well, I don't know what the thing you did that was good was, but I do know that you've done so much bad that whatever you did that might have been good is completely canceled out. Okay? I can just say that. 
And I'm right. <laughs> I'm right about every, every single one of us. And so the fact of the matter is, we've rebelled against God and we've desired to, to take control and run things our own way. We are all sinners. God made the world and we have rebelled against his, his position as our God and creator. And he says that for this, there has to be a judgment. For this, there has to be a judgment. God is just and he's just not going to let us get away with it. There has to be a judgment. And so he says in Hebrews 9, it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. Every one of us has the reality in front of them that we are going to live this life and then it's going to be done. There's going to be our death. That's one thing that everybody, that's one of the two things everybody before us has had in common with us, right? They've all been born and they have all died if they've gone on and we will join them because we have that as our future as well. But it's not just dying, it's also that we will have to face God in judgment. And that's a bad spot for us all to be in. We're in a difficult place. We're in a difficult place because God is holy, God made us, we rebelled against him, and he says, that can't just be let go. There has to be justice. There has to be justice for this. And justice isn't something that our country, our world, we understand that very well. Uh, justice is getting uh, less and less understood by everyone today. Um, but God says there must be justice. But here's the good thing. God loved his creation. He loved us. And he did not want us to die and perish in damnation. So as part of a plan that he had had in his omniscience, in his all-knowing from all time past, God had a plan to save his rebellious creatures. And that plan involved, involved sending Jesus Christ to die. Sending him to die in our place. Sending him to receive the just punishment for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. God sent Jesus to die, and he died for sins once for all. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Jesus who had no sin, he made him to be sin. And Jesus bore our sins and Hebrews 9 says, But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, God made us. He is our creator and our God and the Lord of his creation, and we've rebelled. And he has to, he has to have 
justice. Justice has to happen. But he loves his creation. So he sends Jesus Christ, his son. He sends his son to earth to die so that justice will be appeased, so that his wrath will be appeased. Jesus dies. But if that's all that would have happened, it wouldn't have been good enough. Because God said, he can't stay dead. It says in Acts 2, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Jesus was such a man and such a God that death could not hold on to him. And by God's power, he was raised from the dead. And because of that resurrection, we don't just have the hope of our sins being forgiven, but we have the hope of after our own deaths being raised eternally to life. And that's why we have Easter Sunday morning, but that's why we actually have every Sunday morning But particularly, that's why we have Easter Sunday morning. Because we're remembering that Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised up from the dead by the power of God because it was impossible for death to hold him because of who he was. And because of who he was, we have the opportunity to be raised up from the dead ourselves. And it will be impossible for death to hold us. Why? (laughs) because of something you did, because of something I did, because of Jesus. And if we're in Jesus Christ, it's impossible for death to hold on to us, and we're raised with him. But this brings us to the, the crux of the moment, right? God is the Lord. He's the creator. He deserves our worship. We rebelled against him. He has said that his character, holiness, would not allow rebellion not to be punished, not to be judged. But he loved us. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And then by his power and by the the reality of the, the holiness and perfection of Jesus, death couldn't hold on to him, and he was raised again from the dead. But now there is something that's upon us. What's upon us now is to decide whether we will seek Jesus Christ or whether we'll continue in our life of darkness. Jesus did his work. He was delivered into the hands of sinful men. He was crucified. He was raised again, saving sinners from the wrath of God. But John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Death will not be able to hold him. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so we can't stay in our rebellion against God. And the way we leave our rebellion against God is that we believe on his Son, Jesus Christ, and we submit ourselves to him. And the way we stay in our rebellion against God is that we continue in our disobedience and we we continue to have the wrath of God over top of us. 
To look for and find the Son of God is to find eternal life. To continue in rebellion will result in death and judgment. Life is finding Jesus. Death is continuing to look for life where it will never be found. Life will never be found in your trying to appease God with your petty morality. Life will never be found in sexual sins and perversions. Life will never be found in reviling and rebellion. Life will never be found in the right diet and exercise program. Life will never be found in idolatry. I was amazed to see how the reaction was to the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral. And how many stories were about how wonderful it was that they went in and rescued the crown of thorns and the, the cross of bits and the, and the nails. I want to tell you something, just, just to help you a little bit. Forget about, you can forget about the idolatry of it. Think about the nonsense of it. I'm sure the disciples, the moment Jesus was crucified and they were all dispersed in fear, they were thinking to themselves, I got to get back and get that crown of thorns. I got to go pick up some things because these things are going to be really valuable someday. It's just nonsense. But to think of it is, is idolatrous. And, and don't point your finger too far away from yourself because we're all idol worshipers. We do this all the time. And there is no life to be found in it. None, none at all. No life. No life in idolatry. There's no life in greedy grasping. There's no life in lying and cheating. Life will never be found in lazy self-indulgence. Life will never be found in the pursuit of happiness, goodness, beauty, and etc. Life will never be found in drugs and alcohol. Life will never be found in random acts of kindness. All of these pursuits and more end in death. Only one pursuit ends in life. John 6.40 says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That's where life is. Life is in Jesus Christ. That's where it's found. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Pray with me. Father of glory, we praise you that you mightily raised your son Jesus from the dead. We praise you that the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is your doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Death could not hold him. Our last enemy has fallen before your power in the triumph of Jesus over death, and we have been freed from fear of this ancient enemy. And now, O oh God, grant us to live in the riches of all that Jesus' resurrection means. All authority belongs to him in heaven and on earth. No power and no enemy can prevail against him. Only good can come to us in the end as we trust in him. The best is always yet to come. 
So, Father, banish fear and fretting and discouragement and muddiness from our lives. Rivet our attention on the ultimate reality of Christ's final triumph over death. Never let us forget or fail to feel universal glory that you have given Jesus a name that is above every name. Make this practical in our daily lives as we see every person, great and small, facing someday the risen and triumphant judge of all the nations. Give us a broken-hearted boldness in the mercy and might of Jesus. O oh, Father, we want our lives to count for the display of his greatness. Work in us to this end with all your might, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.